If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be reading some scripture out of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, this sermon probably took me a little bit longer than it usually does for the simple fact that I tried to come up with a catchy name for the title. <laughs> and y'all know what it, uh, what a dangerous thing it is for somebody like me to start thinking about things. And it, it usually, you know, the, the wheels start smoking and, and, you know, things start clogging up. Uh, but I finally did it, I think, uh, when I came up with this. The times of the sign. The times of the sign. With a little subtitle. This is part one of this series. It's called, It's an Inside Job. The times of the sign. It's an inside job. And I'm going to tell you, once we get through with the scripture, I'm going to go ahead and give you the entire thesis of the series. This is not going to be one of those like the, the network TVs do. You know, they, they leave you hanging there at the end and want you to turn, tune back in next week or to come back next season. We're not going to do that. We're going to lay it all out right up here, right front. And we're going to observe these things as we go through this series. That's how important I think this subject is. So very, very important. So without further ado, let's get into our scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 5. The scripture says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now let us be clear and up front right here, because what we're reading from is known by you know how the scholars like to give things names and all such as that. But this is the Olivet Discourse, okay? This is the account after the fact, you know, Jesus is getting close to the end. It's getting close to the time for his crucifixion. And he's, and he's getting serious. Well, he's been serious with the disciples for three years, but he's really getting down to business right now. And after they have left the temple there with Jesus teaching, and, you know, uh, he just got through raking the Pharisees over the coals, so to speak. And they, they're walking away from the temple. And he had just mentioned to the Pharisees that in just a little while, as a sign to them, there wouldn't be one stone left upon another there in the temple. And it was just, I mean, it flabbergasted the Pharisees, but it also took the disciples for, as, by surprise as well. And, so as they're leaving, <coughs> as they're leaving, the disciples came and asked him about these things. And that's where Matthew 24 picks up. Because we see the disciples, it says, came to him privately saying, and we'll see a little bit later, this is uh, uh, Peter, John, James, and Andrew are the four that came to him and asked him this. And we find that out in Mark. Uh, but... They came and asked him about these things because they were troubled. 
Jesus, you, you say that one stone, but you're fixing to set up your kingdom, Jesus. You see how the disciples are thinking? Jesus, your, your kingdom, you're fixing to set up your kingdom, and the temple is one of the cornerstones of the kingdom. We're Israel. We're your people. The, the temple can't be destroyed. And so you see, Jesus had to explain some things to the disciples. But you see, what he's explaining to the disciples are concerning, most of the time, his second coming. Okay? His second coming. So when he's talking to these disciples, remember distinctly, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's talking to them. And there's a lot of people will say, well, what goes on in this Olivet Discourse doesn't have any effect upon the church. Oh, but it does. Oh, but it does. And we'll see that as we go through here. Okay, so what are we going to find out? What is such an important topic? What is something that could be so all surefired important that all of us need to know about? Well, this is it. I told you I was going to give you the thesis, and this is it. And I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up, okay? I'm not one of these memorization people. So I'm going to read this so you know exactly what we're doing in this series. By the end of this series, this congregation and all those who hear these words shall know of a certainty the single greatest sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. We shall firmly establish by the Holy Scriptures and through observation of present events that what Jesus foretold as a sure sign of his return has never been clearer. The sign given by the Savior being the proliferation of false teaching from those within the church who are themselves supposedly Christians. That's it. That's it. The greatest sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ is not wars and rumors of wars. It's not one world government. It's not a beast or a creature or anything such as that that confuses us as we go through revelations. And we're going to establish this by scripture. Now, this is not my opinion or what I think or anything like that. We're going to establish this by scripture. The greatest sign and also the most clearest and the most simplest to discern that Jesus Christ is soon returning is the proliferation of false teaching from those within the church. Have you ever had somebody that kind of, uh, more than likely somebody from your family? <laughs> That's the way it usually turns out. But they'll come to you, they'll ask you, or maybe they'll give you one of them looks or something like that. But you can tell what they're thinking. Why do you take this Jesus stuff so serious? Why are you at church every time the doors open? Why you think you got to go to a, a singing? Why you think you got to go to a supper with them? Why y'all going out to eat? You know, why you hang out with them church people all the time? Why are you at that church every time the doors are open? You know how it is. And you see, sometimes we get grief from those around us. But I want you to know 
I want you to know today, you cannot be serious enough about the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You cannot be. There's no such thing as taking this thing too serious. There's no such thing as going overboard. They'll call you all kind of names. They'll make comments about you. Uh, they may call you a freak. They may call you a bigot. They may call you narrow-minded. Whatever it is they call you, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Because you see, Jesus made sure that you and I could know when his return was imminent. He made sure that we can know. God, in all his wisdom, and all his glory, all his majesty, you know, to me, it's going to be amazing when, when we all stand before the judgment seat and all things are made clear and all things are made known. I'm telling you, and, I, and I'll be the first one. I'll be, I'll be the absolutely most amazed. But it's going to be amazing how clear God made this for us and how muddled up we made it for ourselves. I mean, absolutely. When we stand there and look back at what God has done for us, at the word that he has given us, at the clear message that was sent to you and I, that Jesus Christ is the only way, that there's no other way in this life than but to serve him. When we look back and see how clear God has made this, we're going to be absolutely astounded. And like I said, I'll be the first one. How could I mess something up so bad? That was so easy. And you see, this is where this is coming from. Jesus told his disciples, Look what he said there. Now this centers on this fourth verse. And that's what we're going to concentrate on. Like I said, we're just going to try to establish our base today. We're not going to try to dig too deep, but I want us to establish our base today on where we're coming from. We're looking at the simple fact that the clearest sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ is the proliferation of false teaching, not from outside, not from the devil worshipers, not from the pagans, not from the New Agers, not from the Buddhists, but from people who are sitting in the pews of churches today. And, hey, let me, let's just go ahead and be honest with them. Most of them are standing right here where I'm standing. That's where most of them are at. But you know what? They're teaching false teachings. They're teaching in error. How can, Joey, you can't judge other people. <laughs> uh, wait till the end of this series. Wait till the end of this series. We'll find out. Look what Jesus said in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them. They've asked him the question. And what is his answer? Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. The disciples have just asked him concerning what is the signs of these things, the destruction of the temple, and what are the signs of the end of the age, of your returning, of your second coming. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to these disciples? Take heed that no man 
deceive you. You know me. Let's dig into the Greek language just a little bit. I can tell by your faces that's what you were hoping for next. I can tell that you were looking for some Greek pronunciation uh, from a redneck preacher. And you're going to get it. You ask for it, you're going to get it. That take heed, that is one Greek word. And it's the Greek, Greek word blepo. Now it's hard to mispronounce that. I mean, that sounds like a, a fish creek word to me. Blepo. But it's a Greek word. And it's translated as take heed. But notice what it means. The meanings can be this, to see, to discern. Now get this though. It has both a physical and mental connotation to it. It can mean to see with the eye, to discern with the eye, but it also means to have mental discernment, to have mental sight. It can be understood as to have the power of understanding. Now this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. Take heed, blepo. Have understanding. See these things with your eyes and see them with your mind and with your heart. Understand what is going on. Now notice I give you here in the slides uh, even more brutal details about this word blepo. Because it is a verb and notice that it is in the present tense and the active voice. Now you all know what that means, don't you? That means the word verb means action. It's an action. Jesus is saying, take heed, look, see, discern. And by present and active, he's telling us this is not something that you do one time and it's over with. Okay? Like it? I'm sure, like Deanna and all them, they tell y'all to clean your room and you just do that one time and never do it again, do you? No. You have to do it again, don't you? You have to clean up. And then guess what? Next week it's dirty again. Jordan, have you been falling back on your duties? Okay. All right, we'll have a talk after service. Well, but you do that once and it's got to be done again. This is what Jesus is saying. Present active tense. Take heed. Don't just take heed once, but keep taking heed. Continue to take heed. But notice this. It's also an imperative. Ooh, I like those imperatives. Because you see, this is where I get to explain how all these people that are walking around with this conception in their mind uh, that Jesus is just some, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushover, uh, listen, buddy Jesus is just like, oh, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to uh, have a good life. An imperative is this. It is a command. It is a command. Jesus is commanding the disciples and therefore commanding you and I to listen, to see, to discern, to understand. He's not saying, hey guys, you might want to take heed now. No, he is the master of the universe and he is commanding us to take heed. Watch, understand, see what's going on. It's also in the second person and it's plural. In other words, Jesus is talking to you. And because it's plural, he's not just talking to you, but he's talking to you, 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 and you. He's talking to all of us. So you see the complexities of this Greek word. 
You see what Jesus is telling us to do. To see not only with the eyes, but only also with our mind and have the power of understanding. Take heed that no man deceive you. Deceive you. Deceive you is the next one. Pronunciation's a little bit tougher. Planao. That's the Greek word planao. And it means this. It's translated as deceive. It can be understood as to cause to stray. To lead astray. To lead or be led into error. Okay? Now, y'all remember, I've told you about the different nuances of the Greek language. That there's, you know, we have one word to explain something like deceive. Like to be deceived. We say what? You were deceived. I was deceived. We were deceived. We tell us that. But when we look into the Greek language, they have what? Three different words that can be understood or translated as deceived. And when we look at those, there, there's three words. There's the Greek word delos. Dolos. It's a Greek word. It means cunning or treachery. Now, I wanted to read you the example so that we understood this completely. This is uh, shown in Romans 1.29, and this is what that verse says. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. Okay, so you understand the context of what Paul's talking about here. Don't let somebody get you by cunning or treachery. Don't let somebody trick you. Okay? We understood. That's dolos. And then there's the word apatheia. That's another Greek word. It's understood as beguiling pleasure. can be understood as deceit. It's there in Matthew 13, 22. Jesus said this. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. Beguiling pleasure. The deceitfulness of riches. He was deceived by the things of this world. But then there's that last one. Planae which is a derivative or the base, the root of the word that is used here. Planeo. And guess what? Guess what it means? Error. Error. Ephesians 4.14 says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Error. Error. So you see the three different nuances of the Greek language. But notice which one Jesus uses when he addresses his disciples concerning the coming 
uh, his second coming and the coming of the end times. He doesn't use cunning and treachery. He doesn't use the word that means beguiling pleasures. We saw examples of these, but he uses the word that refers to error. Error. Therefore, you and I can understand his command to the disciples that what they have to be aware of, what they are trying to discern is those who are going to bring error within the body of Christ. Think about it. When Paul's writing to the churches over there about those with false teachings, He's not talking about the guys sitting down at the local uh, temple and altars making sacrifices to Zeus and to Apollo and to Venus and to Diana. He's not talking about those guys because guess what? They stay down there at their altars. (coughs) Who he's talking about and who he's concerned about is those people that are coming in to the churches. And when they come into the churches, they're speaking in error. Take heed. Have sight. Have discernment that no man deceive you. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. And you see, this may seem like a very circumstantial case on the surface here. But I want you to know We're going to do some digging here over the next few weeks. And we're going to see, not by my opinion, but by scripture, that this is backed up not just by what Jesus is telling the disciples. That's enough. That's enough. But listen, when we go through and see what Peter writes, when we see what Paul writes, when we see what Jude writes, when we see what James writes, we're going to find out that a lot of times what we read in scripture and thought was talking about all these evil people in the world that know they were telling us to beware of all the evil people that are within our churches. Joey, do you know something that I don't know? (laughs) No, I don't. No, I don't. Because we all know this. Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now get this, as a roaring lion. He ain't the roaring lion. He can't do anything. All he can do is deceive. All he can do is introduce error. That's all he can do. That's it. That's all Satan can accomplish. And you see, the only way that we can bring error into our churches is if we allow it by not being a discerning people. Okay? At this point, at this point, I would just subject into here that we are to be a Berean church. Acts 17, 11. You know what that talks about? Talks about the Bereans over there. Luke says that they were more noble because you know what they did? The disciples, the disciples now came and taught them over there. But you know what they did? They listened with all uh, open heart and open mind. They listened with all intent. 
But when they got through listening, you know what they did? They searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. The disciples were there. Didn't matter to the Bereans. We're going to check you out with Scripture. And that's what we have to do as a church. Oh, Joey, I like you. You're a good preacher. That's all right. But you better check me out. You better back me up. If I ever deviate from this word, son, it's time to take me out behind the woodshed. I mean, it's on. We don't allow error into our churches. And you see, this is where we have fallen away in this nation. This is what is bringing this nation to its knees and will soon bring it down. Not because of the evil that's in the street, not because of all the wickedness that has crept into our culture, but simply because we have allowed error into the house of God. And you think about it. Now, when you talk to someone, when you try to witness to someone and you talk to them about church, you know, used to, you could go up and talk to somebody, uh, want to invite you to church, want to talk to you about the Lord, want to talk to you about God. And then, you know, they might talk to you or something like that. Now you say something like that to somebody and they'll say, which God are you talking about? Which religion? Which church you go to? You see, we've allowed error for the sake of, uh, I mean, you, you, you hear it all the time. I mean, you know, this, this country talks about, uh, you know, uh, diversity is such a great thing. That, uh, you know, that uh, all these things, that uh, blending everything together is so right and it makes everything so good and it, it makes us such a, uh, an advanced and cultured people. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You know where diversity comes from? You know where all this diversity that the world keeps uh, harping on comes from? It comes from sin. S-I-N. That's where it comes from. Because you see, when we were created, we were created in the image of Almighty God. And we were in, in Him and under Him. And all things were as one. One. You see, that's the, that's the purpose of everything. So that God can bring all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. One, not diverse, not different. One, that's where we're going. We've allowed error to come into our church. So we see here the difference in this command that Jesus gives. Now, we mentioned a while ago that this discourse concerned Peter, James, John, and Andrew. But we also see that in that fourth verse, that's where we read that, but within the next 20 verses, Jesus is going to mention that same thing. Don't be deceived three more times. So when, within 20 verses there, he tells the disciples four different times, don't be deceived. He mentions wars once. He mentions, you know, all these famines once. But he mentions not to be deceived four times. I think he's trying to get a message across. I think he's trying to tell them something. 
This same discussion that he talked to them there in Matthew 24 is covered in Mark 13. It's covered in Luke 21. He talks about the same thing. We find out a, a couple of different details. You know, like I said, Mark tells us who was there. Uh, you find out different details and then you put them together and you see what Jesus was saying. And in describing these events, he's describing events of the second coming, not the rapture now. So we're not trying, we're not replacement theology. We're not saying that the church has replaced Israel. That's not what we're saying. We're just simply saying that as a church, okay, yes, he's speaking specifically to Israel, but we can take the events that he's describing as the church and use them for spiritual discernment. See what we're saying? He's telling the Jewish nation, this is what to look for right before I get here. Well, guess what happens right before he gets here? The second coming. A little thing called the rapture. I kind of like to be, have my eyes peeled for that one. You know what I'm saying? And if he's telling the nation of Israel, this is what's going to happen right before the time, the time of Jacob's trouble starts, then I'm looking at that saying, okay, if that's the sign of the coming of Jacob's trouble, if that's the sign of the second return of Jesus Christ, then I know if those signs are getting close, hey, the rapture's even closer. Woo, we better pay attention, hadn't we? You see, this is what we're understanding. We're not saying that Jesus is not talking to the Jewish nation here because he is. But what we're saying is as a church, maybe it doesn't apply to us as what's going to happen to us, but it, it can be used as spiritual discernment to understand what's going on in the time and thereby have application because when the rapture comes, that's when all this stuff's going to hit the fan. That's when it'll start. Okay. And this is how we're going to close out. I want to give you a, a little food to study on, to eat on this next week. Actually, a couple weeks, because you're going to have two weeks to study on this. I'm not going to get into it next week. But listen, I want to read this chapter to you. And I want to leave you with a question. Because listen, church, I'm telling you, this is, this is the most important thing. I mean, this is it. When we go through Scripture and we see What's being written? Listen, don't we? We too often our culture too often takes this Bible and thinks it it is something to give a lost person and say, "Hey, you need you need to get saved. You need to get close to God." No, they need to hear that from you. They need to see that in you. This is for the body of Christ. This is for God's people. This is for us. It's for us. And you see, it's for our edification. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. Like I say, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Well, that's a lot of scripture, Joel, but that's okay. Better to listen to the word of God than to listen to me anyway. But notice what Paul is talking about in his writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth makers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay. We see here, Paul is writing Timothy concerning what work in the church is. And thus he's speaking to us as well. So we know that what he's writing has direct application to us. But this is the question that I want to present to you. Because did, did you notice a verse in there that was kind of familiar to you? Did you notice that verse? 3.16, just like John. 2 Timothy 3.16, he says what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We know that verse, don't we? We've heard that verse. I mean, you've probably seen that verse on t-shirts. It's been the theme of Bible schools. It's been the theme of Sunday school lessons. It's been all over the place. But look at the context of where it is presented. You have to see that. Look at this chapter. Look at where Paul is presenting the context of this verse at. Do you know who Janice and Jambres was? You, you remember those names? You know who those two cats were? They were the magicians in Pharaoh's court. The magicians in Pharaoh's court. What's so significant about Janice and Jambres? Remember what they did? Everything that Moses and Aaron did 
You know what they did? They copied it. They counterfeited it. Everything that God did, every sign that God gave, they counterfeited it. And you see, this is what Paul is talking about. Timothy, you got to be on your guard, son. Not for all this evil that's going on in the world, but right inside the church, son, there's going to be people coming in that will be counterfeiting the gospel of Jesus Christ and lead people astray. That's why this verse is where it's at. But you see, I want you to study on that chapter this week, this coming week. I want you to look at that. Do a little cross-referencing in there because we're going to dig even deeper than this. And we're going to see. It's going to become crystal clear when we look around, when we turn on the TV, when we pick up a newspaper, when we walk down the aisle at Walmart or at the grocery store, we'll hear and see things and we will understand and know, Jesus, it can't be long. It can't be long. Listen, as Brother Mel comes with a verse of a song today, I want this to be our invitation. If there's one here today that don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. All that you have to do is believe. Repent of the way that you're living. Repent of the sin in your life. And turn and believe in Him. Believe that He died for your sins according to the Scripture. Believe that He was buried and that He was risen again according to the Scriptures. And you shall be saved. That's all you have to do. You can do it where you're at. You come down here. You can talk with me. You can pray. However it is you want to handle that, you just have to believe. You have to repent. You have to believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you need to do that today, let's take care of that today. But if there's something you need to take care of, something you want to pray about, listen, these altars are open. Let's get in touch with heaven. Listen, there's a lot to do, church. There's a world out there that needs the truth. There's a world out there that needs witnesses that are standing for the truth, that are setting aside error, that are not falling for the foolishness of this world. And listen, you're going to be talked about, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be made fun of. But there are people's lives that are going to be changed because of it. So that is our invitation today. While we stand,